you so much, Toastmaster, Distinguished Toastmaster Moon. I am really happy today, but I'm sure there are so many educators and so many other people in the audience today wondering what is happening at Toastmasters. But this is also a place where you can understand that Toastmasters is a very passionate place for all of us. And we really want to have people benefit from this organization, which is called Toastmasters. I would now like to call someone who will welcome and introduce the guest speaker for today, who we are all waiting for impatiently who is not only a great friend of Nepal, but a huge fan of Nepali educators as well. He has been instrumental in supporting a lot of schools right from the beginning in March when we all had to go online. He has provided trainings and workshops so that schools in Nepal could make their online classes learning smooth and flawless. He is the Academic Director of 3DI, Director of the University of Applied Research and Development, founder of the Master of Education program, a trusted certi Google certified innovator, Flipgrid Global Ambassador and Microsoft Master Educator Expert, and has traveled to Nepal for the past seven years supporting schools, teachers, and principals with innovative workshops. He is none other than Dr. Craig Hansen. The virtual screen is all yours, Craig. Over to you. Thank you so much, Mem Dupti. I really appreciate your welcome and your kind words. Thank you very much to all the Toastmasters for joining us this evening as well. Congratulations on your newsletter launch. Uh, thank you 3DI as well for your ongoing support of what we're doing with the university. It's also wonderful to see so many people here on the call tonight who are part of our Masters in Education program, who meet every week to explore educational leadership research and to make an impact in the lives of students and also communities. It's my honor to welcome Brandon Williams, a fighter pilot, captain, he's the real top gun, <laughs> training fighter pilots in the American Air Force, also large major commercial airline pilot and trainer through his company LeadTech, training corporates and company leaders around the world. Brandon, without further ado, welcome and it's so wonderful to have you here with us this evening. Thanks, Craig. I, uh, again, I appreciate the, uh, the invite by you and your, and your team here and um, Always great to, to talk about leadership, especially with an organization like this that, that focuses on, as, as I've heard, um, leadership, speaking, and all the ask communication, everything that goes along with that. So thank you. Wonderful. So everyone who's on the call this evening, we've had over 250 people register for the evening. Already right now, we have over 150 people on the call. So congratulations for making it this evening. What I have done is I've summarized the close to 300 questions that we had submitted, distilled down the core of those questions. And it's my honor to ask Brendan those questions this evening. Brendan, what I might like to do is just ask you to describe yourself in a few minutes and your organization before we launch into the questions so people get a feel of just the breadth of experience that you bring to us tonight. Sure, absolutely, Craig. Uh, well, again, thank you. And a um, little bit about me. First, I'm from the uh, good morning where I'm from. Uh, I guess good evening where most of, most of you are. Um, but I'm from the Atlanta, Georgia area uh, in the southeast in the United States. Um, I was actually born and raised in this area, uh, but I moved all around uh, because of my time in the, in the U.S. Air Force. And me and my wife, Lauren, and our two small children, Mallory, my daughter, who is uh, 10, and my son, Mason, who is 6, uh, we moved back here a few years ago once I, uh, I left the uh, military and we came back here to Georgia. 
Um, anyway, I, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a pilot for as long as I can remember. And so uh, I, that's what I always wanted to do. I was in that generation of when Craig was joking about Top Gun, when that, when that movie came out. So that was like the thing I wanted to do. And so forever since I've known, that's what I wanted to do. So leaving high school, I went to the United States Air Force Academy, the uh, surface academy here for uh, those that want to go into the Air Force and, and be officers. Went into that, graduated from there, went on to go fly F-15s in the Air Force. So I did. did my, sorry, my screen just paused there. Went into the uh, Air Force and uh, did that for 12 years, also serving as a officer in several leadership roles in my time in the military. Uh, so managing budgets, running programs, leading people, all those different things. Well, as soon as I um, left there, I got out of the Air Force and went into, got into leadership speaking and consulting and management consulting. And that's where I started to get into the whole leadership uh, speaking, going around the country, talking about leadership, running workshops, um, doing strategy consulting with businesses from all over the, uh, the country. I mean, some very famous names you would probably know, recognize Fortune 500 companies. And um, also around that time, I went into the uh, airlines, uh, became a major airline pilot. Uh, I've been an adjunct professor uh, at several universities, teaching uh, courses in management, teaching courses in what we call human factors, uh, and other uh, courses that I've taught off and on for, for a few years now. But my company, LeadTech, where I got that idea is it actually stands for Leading Tactically. And what that means is I argue that while we do have to think strategically in our businesses, when you talk about leadership, you really have to think about those tactical human factors aspects when we talk about leadership and we lead people. And that's how you really, that's what our model is all based off of. It's called human factors leadership. And it gets centered on those experiences that as a, as a fighter pilot in the Air Force, working in extremely dynamic and challenging environments, how we are training and how we operated was all centered on those human factors. In other words, how our brain works, because you can't possibly comprehend all that information and variables at one time in that environment. So we had to learn ways to do that. And that's carried over into, into outside of flying as well and how we, we run our teams in the military um, peacetime or, or anytime really. And that's where I got the idea for it. I said, hey, if I could take this to business, to organizations, and if you could tap into that, this idea that you are obsessed with reducing human error in your organizations, what that can do. And that's my argument is that leadership is all about how we mitigate human error and how we really understand those human factors. That's fantastic. Now, Brandon, what I'm going to do is just encourage everybody to make sure you have either your phone or your notebook and your pen ready as we always talk about in all of our seminars and workshops because we're going to get a ton of value from you this evening so when I go through the questions if anyone in the audience um, you have a, a question come to mind please drop it into the chat and ma'am Dipti will be looking in the chat seeing what qu which questions might be different than the ones that we've already captured and prepared so that we can ask them in between the break and at the end we will have a few minutes at the end for live Q&A 
and Ma'am Dipti will be um, leading us in that. So make sure you've got your phone or your notepad ready um, just so you can capture all the wisdom that we have for this evening. So Brandon, very first question in summary for what was shared through all the many, many questions was what role do culture and diversity play in building and leading a high-performing team? Yeah, great question. Um, well, I think what, what first comes to mind is when I talk about my, um, my leadership, human factors leadership model. Um, Craig, I think you and I spoke about a, a few different aspects of that when we, on your, um, the podcast we'd had previously. But when I talk about this model, there's one area in particular that comes to mind. And there are six key attributes of that model. But one of those is team roles. Now, there's a lot involved in team roles. Um, what I really mean by that is we talk about role establishment. Um, you know, we talk about what's called mutual support, which is where, you know, whatever we do, we always have to have what's called mutual support built in where we're all backing each other up. We understand everybody roles in the team, not just ours. Um, and also along with that is, is peer accountability. Kind of this idea that we, we keep each other accountable versus you know our higher level leadership or our bosses keeping our accountability we as as colleagues coworkers, teammates we keep each other accountable and there's ways we do that but the reason i bring that up is because i think when you talk about team roles i think the you know your diversity of your team the cultural backgrounds of your team are vital because as we know different backgrounds bring different uh, attributes to the table and so I think when you find the best teams are those that are, um, that are very diverse in terms of backgrounds or you name it, because what that does is it brings in different points of view, number one. Number two, when you talk about that mutual support, there are so many different ways you can do that. And when people have different experiences and come from different areas and different backgrounds, different cultures, there's different ways to look at mutual support, different ways that people can step in and say, hey, I think we're missing this, or hey, I think we need to do this. And so as leaders, when you talk about leadership and cultural or culture, culture and diversity and, and all what you're talking about, you have to make sure your team composition is a very diverse background. And that can be anything. That can be, you know, diversity comes in many different forms in terms of what you're talking about diversity. But either way, making sure your teams are diverse in experience, backgrounds, type of people, you name it. And I think that's vital, but again, because I think that the more diverse, the more different experience you get. I mean, you know, we don't hire people on our teams that, that come from, if you're building a company, you don't find, just hire all operations people, right? You got to have a financial person. You got to have a, you know, admin person. You got to have a, you name it. And same thing when you build your team, just on a smaller scale. Just as you were speaking in, Brandon, I was thinking that my idea of peer accountability and peer support might be different than someone else in the team who's from a different perspective or a different background. And how I might see it is I'm going to spot and I'm going to monitor and I'm going to bring up everything that person does wrong to keep them accountable. Whereas from some someone else from another culture may see peer accountability and support in a different way. How would you help a, a team to develop a similar perspective in terms of peer accountability and support? That's, that's actually a great, great question. I'm glad you brought that up because like you said, um, I think too many times when we talk about accountability, we talk about accountability in a negative way, I think, like you said, and I think that's, again, based on background, most likely, and where you come from. Um, here in the United States, I always say that when you think accountability, and a bad way of looking at it is we talk about in, in school, you would have a, a vice principal who was kind of the disciplinarian in the school, 
And so when you, when you think of accountability, I always say, don't think of it as the, the vice principal way of accountability. You know, it's not the do this or else type of, of accountability that we're talking about when we talk about peer accountability. That's a great question. But the way to look at it that I like to, that we teach it, that I, I talk about it is I say, number one, it's not a bad word, right? Accountability is not a bad word in the way we look at it. When you talk about peer accountability, it's this idea that you breathe this culture within your teams, that the teams, the informal leaders, if you will, which I think informal leaders are critical because we're all leaders, whether you're in a leadership role or not, I think we're all leaders. And there are some of those that are informal leaders, which as a leader, don't let those informal leaders intimidate you. That's vital for your team because you can't, you can't lead the entire team all the time. You can always be there. You need those informal leaders. But either way, whether it's informal leaders or just within yourself, you have to have this idea this um this ingrained you know idea in your teams that each other each of you are not going to let each other down in other words when i was in the military you know there's this common misconception that you know we're, we we all run around and we're told to you know do this or else you know or like you know follow orders and, and that's all you do you know and anybody here that has military experience most likely knows that's that's not really the case um it, it's really this idea that we're expected to operate very autonomously. But with autonomy comes accountability. But that accountability is driven because oftentimes we, when I, my experiences in the military, we were separated for, for hours uh, from any form of leadership roles in our organization. And so me as a small team leader, I was expected to make very critical decisions that can have very big implications. But I was kept accountable by my teammates. This idea that I wasn't gonna let that person down and they weren't gonna let me down. It's this idea that you're accountable because not because your fear of being fired or, or you know, repercussions, but the idea that you didn't, wanna, you didn't wanna misstep in your job because you didn't wanna let the other person down. You didn't want them to look bad, okay? You didn't want the team to look bad. And how do you do that? Well, there's many different ways. How do you breed that kind of culture? But one of the best ways I think is, is camaraderie. You know, what does that mean? Camaraderie, morale. So in other words, you know, we don't just show up and go to work and we're just there as, as colleagues and then we leave and go home and, and go to our personal lives and we come back. The camaraderie is about getting to know everybody and a world where, or a culture where, you know, hey, Craig, you know, we got a few minutes for this meeting. How's your, you know, how's your kids doing or how's your family doing? How, how's, you know, I heard your brother was sick. How's he doing? You know, just, just stuff that, that you start to learn about people and you start to build those, those relationships that come kind of what we say here in the U S always talk about water cooler conversations. You know, you take a break and at the coffee pot or the water cooler, water cooler and having those, Hey, what's going on outside of work. But when you start to do those type of things and you start to see, and it really starts where like anything else starts, starts at leadership, starts at the top, right? When people see you start to take in concern in them and care in them, that's when you start to go. That's when I'm not going to let you down because not because we're just, workmates but i know what's going on outside your life i know everything about you i know you know you've got a lot of serious issues going on at home or in your personal life and i don't want that i don't want you to have to deal with other things here at work when i can help you out so i think that's what peer accountability is all about there's so many different ways to do it but that's kind of the the best way i can i can summarize it yeah i think that's great that we would see 
that we want to protect the team and build the team and it's not a personal building of an empire to see yeah. the team as the important goal i really like that and you said that um with a, with autonomy the freedom to make decisions uh comes accountability and responsibility it's something that we all need to keep in mind i think that's quite a powerful thing brandon a second question summarizing a number of different questions that people asked was how can leaders continue to build their team in a virtual environment like this? Wow, so um, that's a great question, especially for now, right? Um, you know, even, even pre-COVID, uh, pre-pandemic environment, I think a lot of teams are already moving virtually, but now it's, it's, everything's, you know, flipped. And if you weren't doing virtually, you probably are now, and, and so many other aspects of our world. But, you know, with, with virtual, I think one of the things I talk about also in my leadership model is, is communication. Well, it doesn't take a leadership expert to tell you that communication is, is important in leadership, obviously. Um, but there's some specific aspects of communication that you really have to, to be cognizant of. And one of those is what I call, we call it C3, so C and a three communication. And what the three represents is clear, concise, and correct. Now, again, this, that's not a rocket scientist you know, term, obviously, clear, concise, correct, obviously. But what I mean by that is, you know, you have to be extremely clear as a leader with your, with your uh, organization, with your teams. What does that mean? Well, oftentimes we as leaders, we have an idea of what our end goal is or what we want to accomplish. And we think we communicate that. But how many times do our teams seem to stumble? And what it comes back to is, is well, we, they weren't really clear what we were trying to do. In their minds, they had an idea, potentially but it was, there was a disconnect between the leader and what the team was trying to accomplish. And that goes back to, to two things. Number one, it's not clear enough. And number two, it wasn't communicated enough. A, a drill I like to do with some of my clients, sometimes we have our teams assembled, is I'll have the leader get up and say, okay, tell, tell the team, what, you know, tell us what your objective is. And they'll say something. And then I'll have three of the just random team members stand up and I say, tell me what we're trying to accomplish in your own words. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, you get three different answers. And the leader's like, well, that's not really, I'm like, okay then, that's, that's, your, that's your issue to deal with. You've got to communicate, clearly it wasn't clear enough, it wasn't specific enough. So again, that you cannot communicate enough as a leader. That's, that's one of the first things. And the other thing with that though is um, what we call, we call the military commander's intent, or you can call it leader's intent. And, and leader's intent, commander's intent, what that is, is it's a communication of a desired end state. In other words, you're not telling people how to do things, but you're telling them exactly what you want the end state to be. What does the end state look like? So there, there's where the clear communication comes in. But more importantly, it's not about marching orders. It's not about, um, here's how I want you to do this. It's a very detailed guidance on what the end state looks like, and now you go out and accomplish it. And you can imagine the power of that. Like you said, we talked about autonomy, and that's a big part of my model. But in order to give people autonomy, you have to have, they have to have alignment. And the commander in alignment can only come from a very clear uh, commander's intent. That way, when plans break down, because we all know, you know, no good plan ever, or no plan, our plans always never survive our first contact with our competition or, or what we're trying to do, right? Plans typically always move and change as we go along. That way, when those plans invariably inevitably will change, Commander's intent allows our people to make those decisions real time. 
it allows us to become more proactive versus reactive to changes because we know what the desired end state is. We know what our leader wants to accomplish. So as we move along, we can change very quickly. I mean, you can several military examples that you know you can talk about with that. I mean, in terms of, of why that's vital. And then finally, with with clear, concise, correct, calm, the other aspect I always like to talk about is assumptions. How many times do we do we assume things? How many times? You know, do we make assumptions that we, well, I thought that's what you wanted. Well, I thought, Craig, I thought you were going to do that part. I thought you had that piece of the, of the plan. I thought you were going to do, I thought you were going to say that to the client. I thought you were going to, you know, we, we live in a world, unfortunately, of assumptions. And with leadership, it, it's up to us to ensure our teams are making assumptions on what we want or assumptions within themselves. So, it's, again, it goes back to that clear, concise, correct communication. And in a virtual world that we're working in now, it's even more, more vital that we have that clear commander's intent and then we're ensuring there's no assumptions uh, that are going to send us awry. I really like that. I hope everyone's taking notes. My, my phone screen is filling up, Brandon, as you're speaking. <laughs> so B3 communication, clear, concise, correct. Uh, communication of the desired state, the end state. And then assumptions, making sure that no one will say, well, I thought you were going to do that. At the end, those are, those are three powerful keys, Brandon. Uh, just want to check with Ma'am Dipti, have you noticed a question or any questions from the chat that you'd like to raise just at this midpoint with Brandon? Uh, there is a question. It says, how do you deal with ignorant team members, few who are not interested to pull him into a track where everyone works as a team? Great question. Um, you know, there, there's, I hear this all the time in terms of whether it's, you know, ignorant team members, people that aren't team players. Um, you know, my favorite is, well, we, we just have some bad apples on our team. And I, I always say, you know, well, what are bad apples? You know, what, what are, what is that? I mean, rarely do, you know, if you really think about it in modern times, rarely in a professional organization, at least, rarely do people show up and say, you know what, I'm just not going to do a good job today. You know what, I'm going to, I'm going to willfully violate certain protocols or procedures or standards. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to be a team player today. I don't, I'm just not going to work with people today. You know, that, that rarely does that really happen. So when you really dig down, you say, what are bad apples? And what I always say is bad apples are those ones that are falling or succumbing to some of those human errors. Some of those, those human factors I've talked about earlier. You know, I, there's, I, there's so many different human errors we can talk about when you talk about human factors and, and, and things like that. And there are 12 most common ones, you know, going, going back to my human factors training, when we looked at aviation safety, um, that's where all this came from. We would, we would investigate aircraft mishaps. And what we would do is go and look at what was the root cause of these, what, what, what caused this accident. And NASA did a study and actually said that 80% of all aviation accidents, they did the study in the 90s, resulted from human error. And I would argue that almost 100% of accidents result from human error because there's always humans in the chain somewhere that made a decision that resulted in that mishap. It's a chain of events, chain of decisions, but that's what that's resulted in that mishap. So when we look at that, we came up with 12 most common of those human errors and human factors that, were, that, that typically always played a role. And so I think those 12 human factors, those 12 areas are what really causes that the ignorant people, or the bad apples in our team. 
Um, I think one of the most common ones you see in a workplace is what's called complacency. So we all get complacent or we get in a rut or we, we start to lose, uh, whether it's motivation, whether it's uh, interest, we start to get complacent. And there are so many different ways we can talk about complacency, how you, how you eliminate that. But I think that's what happens with a lot of team members. Now, what do you do about that? Well, that's a, that's a leadership question since, you know, the beginning of the time, right? You know, how do we, back in the stone age, how do we, how do we get the person that doesn't want to go out and help us hunt or gather food? You know, I mean, what, what, how do you get people involved? And I think it really goes back to one of, I think the best ways is, is what, what typically motivates people? I mean, what is it? Yeah, there's financial motivations, of course, but I, I think what really does it is empowerment. I mean, think about it. You know, what really gets people involved is when they're empowered, when they're in charge of something, when they're running something, when their mind's engaged, when, you know, we're humans. Again, human factors, when we design, we want to build, we want to own, right? So when you empower someone, what do you do with that? You give them, again, it goes back to autonomy. Give them some leadership, small leadership pivot. Give, maybe elevate them in a little bit better, a little bit more of a role in the team. Maybe give them a small task that if you're, you're and you're just like, well, they're, they're kind of doing a bad job, so I don't know if I want to give them a big responsibility. Well, then give them a smaller responsibility. Give them just something they can, they can take on themselves. We used to see this all the time in, 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 my, uh, in the military organizations I was in. You know, we would come in and we would give some of the most junior people in that organization uh, leadership roles right off the bat, a small piece of it. What does that do? That empowers them. That allows them to become innovative, allows them to use their mind. And I think that's the best technique I've seen that gets those, those people, whether they're ignorant, whether they don't want to work with team members, whether they don't want to see other viewpoints, it really gets them involved and, and gives them a taste of that, that leadership ability. Thank you, Brandon. Um, the question that I was going to ask next was about the human errors and human factors. So you mentioned there's 12 and one of them is yeah. complacency, I believe. Would you like to share a couple more of those human factors yeah. and errors that we can pay attention to? Excuse me. Actually, yeah, I will. And um, I actually have a slide, if that's okay. Um, Please. That shows actually, um, I used this for a webinar I did yesterday, but it has those 12 most common ones we use. So I'm going to share this real quick. Um, Trying to share it at least. There it goes. You see anything yet? Not yet. Okay. Well, I think I'm having some issues. Uh, it's just really slow. Let me try it one more time. Well. Okay, what about now? Here we go. All right. It's starting. Great. Moving up here. Got it. All right. Can everybody see that? Dirty dozen of human factors on the bottom. Great. So these are the, these are the 12 most common ones I was talking about. You can see we call them the dirty dozen. That was a, a phrase coined. Um, I think it was Trans Air Transport Canada, the, the regulation authority, air regulation, aircraft regulation authority in Canada who coined this, this phrase and actually came up with these. But I think they're great uh, because of my studying human factors. I, I've studied these a lot, but I think they were, what I saw, I said, you know what, this doesn't just apply to uh, aviation. This applies to, to any, really anything involving people. 
Um, and I think you can look at this probably list right now. And I think most people on this, this call, this forum here could probably identify some human factors that they've seen recently or that potentially they have, um, you know, maybe they experienced in themselves and you're like, oh yeah, here, I mean, look at them right here. You look at lack of communication. We've already talked about communication, lack of awareness, teamwork, fatigue, norms. Like I said, people often ask me, what do you think the most common one is? And I think I always go back to, like I said earlier, is complacency. And I think complacency is just a natural uh, human state we want to get into because, you know, if you think about it, we're all creatures of habit, right? We like habit. We like simple. And so a lot of times we get into complacency where we say, you know, I've, I've got this wired or we, we've already done this. I don't need to increase my knowledge anymore. I don't really need to stay as aware as I was. Uh, we get into that that very simple-minded minded state. And so I always argue, how do we get out of complacency? It's something I call uh, situational awareness. And uh, situational awareness, we may talk about this, this more later, but that's a, a vital part of my argument factors leadership model. And what that really is, is this idea that, well, situational awareness itself is just that. It's the awareness of all those variables that affect your current state. Um, so it can be, you know, human variables, physical environment, uh, mental environment, everything coming in and how we, we keep that aware. Oftentimes they use it in the uh, self-defense industry uh, about always having awareness of your surroundings, what's going on. You know, it's said when you, have, when you have high situational awareness, you have a very keen awareness of everything affecting your environment. But what that does, it allows you to start to project what's coming next, what's about to happen. And as we know in leadership, that's absolutely crucial. If you can start to have awareness of what's coming next, you can prepare your teams and yourself better for that. So it's vital we have that situational awareness. And there's several different ways we do that. But having that high situational awareness is key, I think, to, to eliminate that complacency. But these are the 12 most. We obviously don't have time to go into all these, but it gives you a good idea of those ones that your teams um, definitely face. Whether you know it or not, it's what our people are going through every day. I think you're muted, Craig. Craig, I'm sorry, Craig, do you have another question or did I answer that? I'll take up a question. Oh, okay, got it. Sorry, I didn't hear that. Just a moment. Uh, so there is a question uh, from Nikendra Gurung. He says, what actions when applied daily will help keep us high performing? Wow, good question. What actions daily will keep us, keep us high performing? Well, I think uh, since I just talked about situational awareness, I think I'll go into that because I think that's, that's where I think we get our most bang for our buck to answer this question in terms of how we keep our, you know, things we can do to keep our team at a high performing level. Um, and ironically, I think situational awareness is probably one of the most important aspects of our, of our model. Uh, as I said, it's just that the awareness of everything around you. And we want to keep that high situational awareness level. And so how do we do that? Well, there's two things I talk about um, in that. The first thing is something I call uh, 
healthy paranoia. And what does that mean? Well, healthy paranoia is this idea that you're, you're constantly always, you know, this, this kind of this thought in the back of your mind that you're always just thinking, what have I not thought about? What has the team not considered? What are we, what's coming next? What are the errors are going to come in? You know, we've got, we've got this great plan. We're out executing, but what are those contingencies, those things that could pop up that we haven't been thought about? Again, that makes you proactive versus reactive to those changes. So that kind of healthy paranoia, you know, kind of just always thinking, okay, things are going good, but what are we, what are we looking for? The, the example I always use in the flying world is even if you're flying a, just a small little single engine aircraft, one of the first, and then you're, you're a very beginner pilot. One of the first things you're taught is as you're flying along, you're never just complacent. And one of the examples of that is as you're flying along straight and level, things are going great. You're always keeping a scan for number one of other airplanes out there. But number two, where are you going to land if your engine fails? Where are you going to go? Because you have a small little single engine airplane. You only have one engine. So if you lose it, you got, you got to do something, right? And so what you're always looking for is, hey, where's a field? Where's a road? Where am I going to land this airplane if, if this engine quits? You're always kind of keeping that, that little healthy paranoia going, kind of thinking what's coming next. The other thing I talk about in situational awareness, though, and why this is critical for your question about how do we some daily things we can do is consistent monitoring. You know, whether it's your, your KPIs or some key metrics within your teams, within your organizations or business, we're always consistently monitoring, right? We're never just, it's like you got, you know, a leader, one of the best descriptions I've heard of leadership is it's like spinning plates, right? So you have these 10 or 15 plates spinning, right? Well, you can't just stay on one plate, right? You've got to keep going between all these. Now, sometimes one of those plates might start to wobble more than the other. So you may have to spend a little bit more attention on that one. But for the most part, you've got to keep a constant uh, cross-check or a constant scan of all these different plates uh, to make sure that they're all spinning. Because you can't just focus on one, you got to keep them all going. So I think that's the other key aspect of situational awareness that we're keeping all those metrics within our view. And realize it's not just metrics. It's also about our people. We cannot forget to monitor our people. And when I say monitor, again, it's not the idea of are they doing their job, but it's monitoring their, their mental state their fatigue, their stress levels, going back to those 12 human factors I talked about. Because a lot of times we as leaders, we just throw stuff at people and we say, hey, just get the job done. And we have no consideration to what their, you know, what's going on in their life, what their fatigue, what their, their mental state is in there. And that's vital. So healthy paranoia, as I call it, and then also consistent monitoring, both of our metrics and our people. That's great, Brandon. Apologies for the delay. I'm a co-host now, That's so right. I can unmute myself, which is helpful. Thank you. Uh, Brendan, um, that's really important. And I noted down that it's not just about the metrics, because I think we can get focused on those outcomes and ignore the human side. Let's jump into another question. How do you define transformational leadership and what role does motivation play in leadership? Great. Well, transformational leadership... Um, you know, everybody probably knows that it's obviously this idea leadership that your, your style of leadership serves to inspire people, to motivate, to, you know, really dig in and find that, that inner intrinsic, uh, values that motivate people. That's the kind of, you know, there's, there's servant leadership, the type that, that, uh, you know, you're in a role of serving 
is, is what the view is. There's situational leadership, you adapt the situation. So, but transformational leadership all focuses on, you know, how we inspire, how we motivate, you know, how we, uh, we tap into those, those inner intrinsic values we talked about. And I think we've kind of talked about, you know, earlier when, when we talked about how do we kind of, you know, tap into some of those people who aren't really team players. And again, I always go back to that empowerment mode. You know, I think if you're going to really inspire people, really transform them, you really have to dig into autonomy. And we've talked a lot about autonomy here, but I can, it keeps going back to it. But my model, a lot of that center on autonomy. Because a lot of times we as leaders, we're afraid to relinquish that. Why? Well, I mean, because we're ultimately responsible for whatever happens. So it's hard to, to you know, give, give our people that kind of that extended power sometimes that, that hey, go out on your own and, and, and do this. Because at the end of the day, we're responsible for that. But here's the power in autonomy. People, your team knows that you're ultimately responsible. I mean, Craig, if I'm on your team and you're going to say, Brandon, go do this, you know, I know that if I mess up, guess what? You're the one that's going to get the heat for it. Yeah, I may too, but ultimately it's going to come back to you. But why is that important? Because when your people see you give that, when your people see that you're giving them some leeway, you're essentially putting your, your neck on the line for them. Imagine the power in that. I mean, you probably experienced that before. When somebody has trusted you with a large task and they said, hey, wow, they've trusted me with this, with this ability to do this, that's very motivating. That's very empowering. So I think, again, going back to that autonomy and how we do that, in one aspect of that, um, that we talk about in my, in my company, my teams, I mean, I do whole workshops on this. Um, so we by no means have the time to talk about all of it, but it's called decentralized execution. And what decentralized execution is, is that ability that you're taking it out the, the actual execution of tasks, you're taking it out of the leadership role and putting it into the frontline leadership role. It's the delegation of that authority of, hey, again, commander's intent, here's what I want done, but now I want you to go out and I want you to execute. And again, as a young, you know, I was in my young 20s, our mid 20s, and I was a, what was, um, I was trained in the F-15 and I was what was known as a very young flight leader. So flight lead, which meant I could go out on my own and take three other team members with me in other airplanes. And I could go out for hours at a time and separated, you know, there was no communication capability back to any kind of leadership authority whatsoever. But I was given a lot of authority, a leeway. I mean, I'm flying a $50 million piece of military equipment and I'm also leading three other people who are doing the same thing. And I'm responsible for their safety to bring them back in one piece. I mean, we're talking a very, obviously, high-risk environment, very mentally challenged, very physically challenged. But decentralized execution, the way we work, the way we operate, and we were forced to do that because there was no other way to really get the mission done unless you did it that way. But the, the amount of power that will give, the, I mean, when I, I knew I had that ability, that authority, what do you think I did? I mean, I, I prepared in great depth. I wanted to be the best pilot, I'd be the best leader I could be because I knew that it was counting on me. I knew that it was my job to lead these people out and bring them back. And if I didn't, not only was it going to look bad at me, but it's going to look bad at my leadership. So I think that decentralized execution, that again, that autonomy is, is the best way to, um, they're really I, one of the best tools for that transformation, transformation leadership. I think to make that work, Brandon, it really does come down to the leader themselves, she or he, um, getting over that fear 
of giving away power, giving away authority and autonomy to team members. Brandon, how do I as a leader, how do we as leaders deal with that worry, that anxiety, that concern when we do give and we do delegate that authority? How do we deal with ourselves? Well, how do we deal with ourselves? Well, I think you have to, it comes down again to um, you as a leader, have you, I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes, have you assembled the right team? Because if you, if you assemble a team as a leader and they fail, whose fault is that really? And you, now you can say, well, certain decisions were made that caused these people to fail. But whose fault was that? Who put that team together? Who picked the team members with the right or wrong attributes for that team? So I think we as a team, how do we deal with that? Well, we assemble the right team, so we put the right people in the right places. Again, that goes back to team support or team roles. It goes back to our very first question about diversity and background. I mean, so many different things you can talk about there. But that goes back to, again, we as leaders, do we set up our teams? Do we provide our teams the right resources? I mean, you know, when teams fail, you've got to look at, there's only one person's fault it was, and that's the leader. I mean, I, I, a quote I've heard recently, I love this, is, what is it? There's no such thing as bad teams. There's only such thing as bad leaders. And so when we, if we want to feel good about releasing that autonomy, giving that decentralized execution, getting rid of that anxiety, it goes back to who you're selecting for that team first. It goes back to those what we're, how we're setting our teams up. Are we giving them clear guidance? Are we giving them the right resources? Because nothing more demoralizing for a team than when you give them a task that they know there's absolutely no way they're going to be accomplished that. Now, does that mean we don't shoot for the stars? Absolutely not. But you always give out objectives. You always give out tasks that you know a certain team is equipped to do and able to handle. I noticed that on the slides, one of the 12 dirty dozens was a lack of assertiveness. And I remember a time when I was new to leadership and I was leading a team and there were some older people in my team and I heard that there was some negative talk about me in the lunchroom. And someone who was very kind came and told me, but being new and being nervous and being young, I didn't address that and I didn't address that quickly. So what would be a good way for a young leader, a new leader, to go and address or become more assertive in situations like that? Great question. Well, the first thing I would say, Craig, the first thing you should have done is what? When you heard that negative, those negative comments, what should you have done? Well, you should have fired that person, right? No, that's a joke. I'm, I'm absolutely joking. <laughs> that's not true at all. No, what, what's the first thing you should have done is you should have said thank you. Thanks for the, hey, thanks for the honest are uh, saying what you want to say because you know as, as leaders a lot of times that negative feedback whether it's given to you to your face or you hear about it by accident or you hear about it like you said through another colleague that negative feedback is is vital um, because what does it tell you I mean that that is unfiltered uh, hey Craig here's what your people perceive that you were doing wrong and guess what you know, we can say it's perception, but, but unfortunately, when you're leading people, perception is reality. If they perceive something that you're doing, even though you think you're not doing it, guess what? You're doing it because they perceive that. That's just the way it is. And so what, what do we as leader, how do we as leaders handle that? Well, hopefully, if you're a good leader, you want to what? You want to adapt and change. I mean, you want to adapt and change for the better. Now, we don't just want to change just to win over um, you know, one person obviously or, or conform just to be the cool leader. 
but we do want to adapt and change to lead our people better, to motivate them better, to have them give them a better environment. So the first thing you do, Craig, is 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 you're thankful for that, and then you how do you address it? Well, there's I mean that's just so dependent on the situation, right? You know, in your situation, um, where you hear some advice from a from a former or from a fellow colleague who tells you, hey, I heard this some some negative talk about you. Here's what they were saying. Here's what was going on. First thing I would do is to the person that talked to me is say, hey, well, okay, great. You know, what what do you think? This is what they said. What, what are your thoughts about this? And, and be honest with it. Hopefully, if they're coming to you with this, they're probably a pretty good friend of yours or they feel good talking to you. So that's the first thing I would do is get their take on it. You know, what do you think? What are, what are the people saying? And that's what you want. You want those, again, those informal leaders who will bring this kind of, of, of uh, feedback to you. And then I would first go with them and say and get their advice. And you may just stop it there. If they can just tell you some things you can do. You know, you, you may not have to address anything really directly. You just change the way you do some things. Now, there may be some aspects where, you know, like, you know what, I need to address this up front because this is, this could be bad for our team. This could be a cancer for our team if I don't address this quickly. And that's where you do address the whole team. And you're not addressing it in terms of to, um, to highlight, you know, that something was said about you, but you're addressing it to say, look, um, you know, whether it's come to my attention or, I think there's this going on or, or here's some things I could do better and here's how we're going to, I'm going to start to change things or I'm going to start to do that. But the respect that your people will get for you when they see that you can admit your shortcomings, you can come out and say, Hey, I see I need to change in certain areas for the better. Again, extremely powerful, extremely critical when they see a leader that can do that. Just like the idea, I always say there is nothing more powerful than a leader that can admit they don't have all the answers all the time. Yes, we want to exude confidence. We want to have that confidence. You never can crumble under leadership. You never can show panic and show fear. But what you can do is, and I do this all the time, and leaders not going to have all the answers, especially the bigger your organization, you shouldn't have all the answers. I mean, there's experts in different areas on your teams, that background diversity getting coming out. And so when you can go to them and say, look, um, here's what I think, but team, what do you think? And guess what? A lot of times you're going to get better answers than you thought about. But that's, that's what leadership is all about. It's taking that feedback. And, and Craig, to your point, I mean, if you're doing leadership right, guess what? There are going to be people that don't like the way you're doing things sometimes. And then sometimes there's just going to be these people you're just not going to win over for whatever reason. I mean, there's one or two people that, whether it's personality conflicts or they're just in a bad situation, that's going to happen, obviously. And you're never going to win over everybody. Not everybody's going to be happy. But that's unfortunately is the that's the weight of leadership, right? That's, that's, that's what comes along with the job. So, um, so many other ways you can address that, but I, I know that kind of is probably more than you're asking, but um, that, I think that's the best ways to look at things like that. Yeah, thanks for that, Brendan. I think one more question from the prepared list, and then I'll hand over to Dipti, because I think we have some questions in the chat, which would uh, be great to finish up with. Just the final question is, there are a number of different frameworks that we can use to measure performance. Is there one that you think would be good uh, that would fit your model that you've talked about tonight in terms of measuring performance, getting data, and then using data to manage performance, building a high-performing team? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, again, that goes back to peer accountability. Um, I think when we, when we really want to measure performance, we really want to keep teams on task, it goes back to that peer accountability, which I talked about. And I talked about a little bit about how to, how to do that. So I think that's the... I think that's the, uh, the first thing. The other thing though, as I talked about is, um, 
is that consistent monitoring, consistent monitoring of our people, of our metrics, um, as we monitor those, those informal leaders in our teams and, and keeping that aware. Now, as far as actual hardcore data, I'm a big proponent of that in terms of, you know, we have a lot of the stuff I talk about is very much leadership focused and very much um, kind of those skill sets that don't really get to hardcore data. But what I'll do sometimes with my, my clients, I will partner and there's all kind of, of teams out there, companies, organizations out there to do this. I'll partner with an organization that does um, strength finders or you know personality assessments. Personality assessments are okay. What I really do like, and there's so many different ones out there, um, are, are strength finders. And what that is, is it asks a series of questions. Sometimes they, they have teams that will actually interview certain team members, certain leaders, and they compile this data together and crunch it together. And they say, hey, here's where, you know, your leaders, here's some strengths and weaknesses of your leaders, or here's some strengths and weaknesses of your teams and things like that. Again, there's so many different ones out there. I don't, I don't do that within my own organization, but there are several out there that I've partnered with before when I go into organizations. And it's just another data point. It's another way to compare, you know, when I work with teams, I'll do interviews. I'll do interviews with some of the, some of the leadership. But even more importantly, I'll do interviews with some of those frontline employees, those frontline operators, because that's where you get your best feedback. That's where you get your best data from, is what are the frontline people saying? What are the boots on the ground? You know, what are they experiencing? What do they perceive, you know, their leadership is doing? Again, because it shows that disconnect between what leadership actually wants or thinks they're doing versus what, you know, the team perceives or, or, or thinks they're doing. And so I combine that with that data and that's how I come up with, you know, very customized solutions for, for my clients when I talk to them about leadership development or leadership coaching and, and what I'm trying to work with. So I think it's two things. It's first, it's, it's interviews with your teams, with your leaders. And again, don't just, you're not just interviewing the leaders, you're interviewing who the, the frontline employees getting the real truth data, as I say. And then you're also another good compliment that I think is those actual strength finders or, or personality assessments that can really, you know, dig in and give you some real hardcore data. But what I would not do, I would never recommend just purely using the, the strength finders or the personality assessment as your only tool. I mean, it's a great data point. It's a great way to show you, but you've also got to get that, those, those interviews, those, uh, the real feedback from the people and what they're actually saying. And then you put those two together. And I think that's a great way to kind of, kind of assess your people. We talked about the example of Craig about we'll take negative feedback, they admit the change. But in terms of, of what you just asked, I think the best way to sum that up is leading by example. Uh, leading by example. We hear it all the time, but I think it's so crucial. You know, you never ask your P. I learned this as a as a brand new, what we call lieutenant in the US military, a brand new officer. You know, I was probably 22 years old, maybe, you know never ask your people to do something that you're not going to do or that they they're never going to see you doing okay don't be afraid to take out the trash as i say i mean that's kind of figuratively but true as well right don't be afraid to do those tasks and it's not about that you're it's not about your you're helping necessarily take out the trash but it's about people seeing you do that and it's about people seeing you be involved so leading by example to include all those tasks that you think are, are extremely, you know, way below your pay grade, way below what you have time for. But when the people see you out talking with people, getting out there, 
I think that's the best way to, to inspire that leadership and for, for people to, uh, to follow you. Thank you. Um, there is a question right in the beginning. I forgot to take it, but I would like to take it up because she's asked again. Um, how can we impress the part of the management which is not happy with us? So this is, I think, more of a mid-manager question. Impress the management, but the management is not really happy. So how is the person happy? Impress the management. So are we speaking from a um, from, from a from a higher leader role down to mid management, or are we speaking like as you're a your employee wanting to press a manager? Is that impress the manager? Okay. How do we how do we impress the uh, the manager as a as a frontline leader and frontline employee? Um, I think we. I, I, what I always say is, oftentimes I said this earlier. You know, we're not in a, we may not be in a necessarily a leadership role, right? We may not be an official formal leader, but I always argue this. I say that, hey, we, you know, everybody's a leadership or a leader in some way. Everybody, even if you, I mean, even, even outside of work, even as you're, you know, in your, in your family, you're a leader. In, in, in your, your social circles, you're a leader. I mean, there are so many different um, ways that we are leaders. So in the, the example you're talking about, it's, it's the thing I like to see. I mean, think about what do you like to see as a leader when you're leading a group of people? What, what do you like to see? Well, you like to see it when people below you start to take charge in terms of not overstepping your authority, but they start to take the bull by the horns, you know, as we say, and they start to, to accomplish tasks very autonomously. They start to do things on their own. They start to fill that leadership role in an informal way. So I think the way to, to, to best impress those managers or to best help them out, I should say, is when you start to be very proactive, you start to make those decisions. And otherwise, it's it's the idea of, of nothing's more annoying as a leader. I think we can all agree on this. It's someone that can below you that can absolutely cannot make a decision, and they come to you with everything. You know, they come to you with what well, to the point of of what am I going to eat for lunch today, boss? You know, well you're an adult. You know, make a decision, right? And so it it you know, when you see those people that can do that, they can go ahead and make those decisions. Of course. There, there's a fine line there, right? I mean, I mean, there's things that we need to know about as leaders, but then there's a lot of things that you don't need to know about on a day-to-day basis um, as a leader. You just kind of want things to get done. But again, that goes back to you that you get them clear guidance and give them that ability to do that. But again, I think the best way to do that is, is people below us is when we make those decisions. We kind of make those tasks. If I can just add on to that I think that's really important about owning our roles whichever level of the organization we're in and I think in education because often as teachers we're trying to do the same thing but in different contexts whether it's a different grade level or a different subject different school environment and resourcing one of the greatest ways that that signals to me someone is really owning their role is when they find something that works well for them and they share it with their peers. They say, hey, I did this in science or I did this in behavior management or I did this in my planning or I did this in assessment and they share that idea widely with their peers. And when that happens consistently, as a leader, I look at that and go, wow, that person is not only owning their role, but they're taking ownership for their relationships with others and the performance of other people by sharing generously. And that signals to me, they're worthy of that trust and that delegation and autonomy to do something more. I think that, uh, for those people that aspire to leadership, that's probably our first step of leadership is by leading across 
by sharing generously what works. Because that idea that works for me, it won't exactly work for someone else, but someone else can take that idea and jump on it, transform it, use it, modify it, and get success in their own way and share that. And we know when we're generous and when we share and we do things freely with that expectation of something coming back, something always comes back. Maybe not in the way that we expect, but we get opportunity and it raises other people's regard for us as well. You brought up a great, if I can real quick, you brought up a great point um, that just keep me into something else. And, and it's what I told my clients a lot of times when I work with people, I say, you know, we're not, we're not in grade school. We're not going to play the game we used to play where it's, I've got a secret, right? So like to Craig's point, when you find something that works, that that's not for, for us to keep. You know, I think too many times we work in organizations where we're literally afraid um, and a lot of times this goes back to leadership because they built this culture, but we're literally afraid to pass on knowledge because we're afraid somebody else is going to use it better than we can or they're going to take for our role. And that nothing is worse for an organization like that. And Craig brought that up and I think it's, it's so, so vital. You know, it's like they say, you know, you, um, it's amazing what you can do in a team when you don't care who gets the credit. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And that that's when you've arrived. That's when you've arrived as a leader. When you don't care if you get the credit, when you don't care, you want the team to succeed. You want the team, the organization. It's not about highlighting myself, but, uh, but that. So thanks for bringing that up, Craig. That's, that's such, a, such a crucial point. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Brandon. There is, I think, uh, I'm going to like club two questions together because you somehow actually summarized uh, one of the questions because the question was, how do you define a great leader from your experience so far? And there is a question, how would, what would be your suggestions to the leaders for the long-term sustainability of the organizations as most of us are suffering from the pandemic? Great, thanks. Um, well, there's two things, ways I'm gonna answer that. I am gonna answer, answer kind of how I sum up um, in three words here, kind of the, uh, the ideal leader, if you will. But before that, how do we set our teams up? How do we, we organize our teams? Well, you know, structure and how we, we organize our communication is, is critical, right? It can be more critical than this. And one of the key areas I talked about is communication. And one of those areas of communication is when we're working in an environment like we're in now, is how do we check in? How do we maintain our presence, right? We're not in, we, chances are, we're, you take that time to have a, whether you want to call it a weekly check-in or our weekly, you know, daily, whatever, you know, let's alignment call just to get together. And, and not only that, but again, goes back to what? It goes back to what I call the care and feeding of your people, ensuring everybody's doing okay. And that's even harder now when, when we're separated this. So it's not just, don't make it just a, a work, a work call like this, but ask, like I said, ask how everybody's doing. Hey, Craig, you know, how, how are, how are things going? You know, how's your, how are your kids? Are they back in school? Are they work doing digitally? You know, what, you know, talking to people and getting there, that's even more important now, I think, um, in the environment. We're in. So again, it goes back to the communication, but it goes back to taking a, 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 um, a very deliberate step in doing that, a very deliberate, we've got to be more deliberate about that now when we're working in this remote environment. But to sum up what I think the IDO leader looks like, I always say this a lot of times in my keynotes, and I, I use three words. I say humble, approachable, and credible. Humble, approachable, incredible. And to me, I've never found a better summary. We used to use that when I was in the Air Force. We would use that to describe um, the ideal instructor pilot. 
So as you're a new, a new pilot coming into the organization, you know, you were instructed by these, these people that were way more experienced than you, probably higher ranked than you, but humble, approachable, credible. That's the best people to learn from. Humble because you know that you're probably very well versed in certain aspects of your organization and what you do, but you're very humble about it. You're not, you're not bragging, you're not taking all the credit. Um, approachable. People feel like they can come and talk to you. You're not very, you know, people want, you want that. You want people to be able to come to you, just like the example we talked about earlier, whether it's positive feedback or negative feedback. You want people to give that to you. You don't want to be the leader in the ivory tower where nobody feels like they can approach you. Nobody feels like they can come and, and uh, they're afraid to say anything to you, you know. And then ultimately, it's credible. you got to be humble and approachable, but if you don't know how to do your job and you're clearly not uh, suited or not uh, experienced enough or not qualify for that, well, then there's no way people are going to respect you. You know, the example I like to use is in a, in a flying organization. You know, we sometimes had leaders that were, that were promoted and we would call them, call them yes men. You know, people that just kind of just, you know, you know, nothing's worse for an organization. People just did whatever the people above them wanted them to do. And, and, and that was, sometimes they get through the cracks, sadly. And so they get into a position of leadership, but guess what? They get there. And they may not have the technical skill set, though. They're not the best pilot. They're not the best person in their team that knows how to do their job. You know, if you're in a tech organization, you know, they don't really know what the frontline people are doing. They don't have that knowledge. And it's hard to really follow and respect people that you know they have no idea what you're going through and no idea what you're actually doing. So humble, approachable, credible. I think that's the best way to sum up a, an ideal leader, if you have to sum it up. Thank you, Brandon. I think that was the last question for the day. And of course, we have many questions, but not possible to take all of that. It's already 6.45. So I would like to now um, thank Brandon and Craig. And I would like to hand over the screen to Srijana to give the vote of thanks. And um, I'm so happy that we could do this today because uh, we could also launch the um, newsletter for the division for our uh, tour for our area, for my area especially. <laughs> so I'm really happy that I could do this you know, with, uh, your, in your presence, Craig and Brandon. So thank you so much, everyone. I would like to hand over the screen to Srijana now. Srijana? Ma'am, you need to unmute me. You, you are? Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. First and foremost, we'd like to express our heartfelt gratitude to Brandon and Craig for your invaluable time and for that stimulating roundtable session. You literally got us hooked from the start till the end. A big thank you to Toastmasters International, Area A1, Division A, District 41, for this beautiful collaboration due to which we were able to witness an interesting launch of innovative ideas and strategies on building and leading a high-performing team. Thank you to everyone for the well-thought-out questions put forward to Brandon and Craig. To each Toastmaster, educator, entrepreneur, team leader, and guest present, we'd like to express our deepest appreciation for your August presence. Last but not the least, we'd not only like to thank, but also applaud Mrs. Deepthi Acharya, for this great initiation and collaboration. Once again, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. We had a great, I hope you had a great evening with us. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. If anyone wants to stay back for a little while, otherwise you can But thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, everybody. Great to see you. Thank you, Brandon, so much for being here and giving your time. Great to see everyone again from Kathmandu and from around Nepal. Wonderful. Have a safe evening.